0: This is Stephanie Ruper. Thank you so much for tuning into the Naked Humanity podcast, where we take the deepest dive possible into the question of what it means to be human. Today is episode number 42, and I have on Kyla Tova, who's a specialist in the relationships between body image, identity, uh, branding, and marketing. So Kyla and I actually go way back, way, way back. She and I met while I was working and she was beginning to work uh, in the health and nutrition space online. So many of you know, although not all of you perhaps, uh, that I have a side gig and once a very prominent gig as a advocate, and promoter of women's health. And I would help women with their hormone problems, with endocrine issues, with fertility issues, uh, and also spoke a lot about psychology and body image um, because it's all very, you know, interrelated, the way that you think and feel about yourself and the way that you eat, right? And so Kyla and I met in this space and she has been on a really fascinating um, journey from... Wrestling with food, with disordered eating, with eating disorders, and with participating in diet culture and with becoming obsessed with um, health, right? And achieving perfect health. Uh, And then sort of taking a step back and analyzing all of that and realizing like what diet culture is and what diet culture does and why women get so wrapped up in it. And of course, men as well, um, but especially women. And, and, you know, what, what are the alternatives? What can we do about it? And so Kyla actually has put together this brilliant podcast, which she'll tell us about in a minute, um, where she talks with people like myself, who have worked in the space or, or do still work in the space and asks them really hard questions. Like, why do you feel comfortable selling weight loss programs, which is a question she asked me, right? Um, what, what expertise do you have? Why do you think people need this expertise? How do you do it? Do you intentionally make people feel bad in order to make them buy your products? Do you try to make them feel good in order to make them buy your products? Um, do you feel ethical at all talking about weight loss online? Like all of these kinds of questions. And I love how she has been a part of this space, continues in some way to be a part of this space and is also transforming this space by by asking these really hard, fascinating questions about the way our our modern world is set up. Right. And we know that uh things sell right when they promise to fill a gap in our lives and maybe that means that they make us feel bad about ourselves in the first place right this is why we're all so obsessed with losing weight because we're terrified that nobody's gonna love us unless we look a particular way right like and these discourses are so like hammered into us All of the time, from all different angles, from our friends, from magazines, from social media, from movies, from constantly seeing people who are thin, advertised in a positive way, all these sorts of things. So it's so important to get our heads into these spaces and to understand um, how these worlds are affecting us and how they shape the decisions we make, why we buy things you know? Uh, So anyway, Kyla and I have a fantastic, really fascinating conversation about this and the forthcoming episode. Um, I'll read you a little bit about her to give you uh, some background before we get started. Uh, Kyla Tova, after recovering from orthorexia, anorexia, and an exercise addiction, Kyla began a career in marketing while moonlighting as a body image coach for women recovering from eating disorders and disordered eating. She recently released a 15-episode podcast documentary about marketing literacy, neoliberal feminism, and identity economics in the context of health and fitness entrepreneurship called Your Body, Your Brand. This fall, she joined the University of Wisconsin-Madison's Communication Arts Department to pursue a PhD in rhetoric, politics, and culture. In Kyla's quote-unquote spare time, she is the award-winning burlesque dancer and drag artist Will X also known as Dee, Dee Queen. She is the reigning leading man of the Hollywood Burlesque Festival, won the 2018 San Francisco Drag King Contest, and was named the 2018 Master of Tassels, Master of Amazement, and Bronze Medalist at the California Burley Picks. Wow, it's pretty cool. It's really fun to be your friend on Facebook, just saying. Uh, connect with Kyla at kylatovaprins.com or on Twitter or Instagram at, at body brand pod, all of which I will link to in the show notes for dragon burlesque. If you're so interested, you can find her on Instagram at performing woman and her dragon burlesque is truly amazing. So um, do check that out. Do check out her podcast, which is amazing and which I am uh, on and uh, do uh, get at her or get at me at Stephanie Rupert on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Uh, If you have any questions, ideas, or things you'd like to share. Okay. Thank you so much for tuning in. Here is Kyla Tova. Okay, hi. Welcome, Kyla. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, thank you. I uh, was just telling people that, uh, I don't know, I'm super excited, and I was obviously telling you this. It's been, how many years has it been since we've chatted? Like three, four, three? Uh
1: I think it it might have been too, because I had
0: you on my podcast, and I've been working on it for about two and a half years. So yeah, yeah, that's really amazing. I have been watching this project unfold. I don't like i'm I'm kind of a Facebook lurker. like I don't do a ton of interacting, but I see everything. So um, I've been <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I've been very up to speed on on what's been happening with your podcast, so maybe we can jump right into it and you can tell us like what it is and why why it exists. Why did you, and you put, again, you put years into this podcast and now you're like debuting it all at once, like this beautiful series, which I think is just great. So, um,
1: yeah. Sure. So um so I started working on this podcast in February of 2017 because uh, I'd been a health coach this is actually so how I met you. Um mm-hmm. I was a fan of yours um and I was kind of in the paleo nutrition world back in 2012 2013 something along those lines. Um And I got it into my head that I was going to be a health coach. Um, So I started studying uh, through the Institute for Integrative Nutrition in 2013, started taking on clients, um, and I pivoted as I had started to move away from paleo towards body image. So I was working with women who had disordered eating, not eating disorders. Uh, I did have a few clients who had eating disorders, but only with the consent, um, and the collaboration of their therapists. So Mm -hmm. I was helping them work on the post recovery stuff while they were doing the recovery work with their therapists. Um, but I really had it in my head that I was going to be this like amazing big health coach with a huge following and a big website and the SEO was going to come naturally and the, the Twitter <laughs> following was going to somehow make me affiliate marketing deals. I don't know. It was a whole thing. So I poured about $20,000 of my own money, um, into building a health coaching business over about four years. Um, and I lost those $20,000. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I had worked with business coaches. I went on retreats. I got certified through IIN and then also got a secondary certification uh, through the Holistic MBA, which is now a different company. Um, Obsessed with being a health coach. And no matter what I did, it never grew. It never changed. I spent every weekend hustling. Um, I was working a full-time job in addition to this. Um, And it just didn't happen for me. And I got disillusioned, um, really disillusioned. And I started, uh, hanging out with people who were interested in doing feminist marketing, um, (laughs) trying to understand what it is about the vision of successful health coaches that made me think I could do it too. Mm.
0: Um,
1: you know, following people like Marie Forleo, who basically said, it's just easy. You just get a following and then, and then it all just kind (laughs) of shakes out. You just hustle a little and then you're a lady boss. Um, and I, I was so disillusioned with everything. And I just was like, why are we, why are we so persuaded when we see these images of successful women to want to follow in their footsteps? Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do like a short eight episode podcast about this. And I'm just going to talk to some of my friends in the feminist marketing world. And it'll just be a, a quick little like uh, primer on marketing rhetoric. Right. Because I had at the same time started reading books on persuasion, marketing rhetoric, not to learn how to use it, but to understand why it worked if that makes sense. So less Gary Vaynerchuk and more like actual academics. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. So I, as, as I started doing these interviews, I realized that everyone was telling the same story and I thought, well, I can't just release the same podcast over and over. Maybe I should just put them in conversation. And then one of the women whom I, with whom I spoke, she said to me, women are dropping out. Women are dropping out of the workforce because they are so tired of having to ape men in order to attain any kind of success. And when she said those words, it really stuck with me because Mm -hmm. even though that was kind of what the podcast was about, it wasn't about that until that moment. And from there, it just kind of spiraled. And now I have over 40 hours of tape that I have edited together into 15 episodes (laughs) Um wow. yeah. Um and yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge undertaking. Every episode probably took between 10 to 20 hours to, to create. Um I did the whole thing by myself. Um so I went to writing meetups in the morning in the evening and the weekends to just sit and edit tape, um, to write scripts, to figure out, you know, how your interview would tie into something that Dan Pink said, which is actually a thing. And I think it's episode episode three or episode five. I can't remember. Um, but you know what I mean? So it's like taking bits and pieces from what everyone said um, and not manipulating anything because the whole point is to explain right. how you know, manipulation does, you know, we we don't want to do that. But anyway, um, the idea is just to tell the story of why people who identify as female feel that entrepreneurship is the best. And this is not all every single female identifying person, but rather this particular cohort, particular cohort of female identifying people, why they feel like health coaching, uh, yoga teaching, personal training, some kind of health and wellness career is the answer to disillusionment in other potential, um, areas of, of, um, economic success,
0: I guess. So mm. anyway, long story short. That's, that's <laughs> cool. And that's actually different from what I remember, right? Cause this was years ago. Uh, yeah. So do you, you have the episodes organized like thematically? Yes, exactly. Wow. So you splice all these interviews together to sort of Mm-hmm. talk every week about what are some like example topics from different? Sure.
1: Well, so I can, I can tell you a little bit about the, the arc of it. So we, we talk in episode one about diet culture and how it perpetuates itself through the internet. Mm. Um, I think it's a good doorway in because I think that's what everyone is expecting it to be about. Right. Um, you know, um, and also, for people who may stumble on the podcast but don 't know anything about diet culture or fat phobia, health at every size it 's a good primer um, so there 's there 's an episode on diet culture, but then the next episode is about um, women explaining why they dropped out of the workforce um, so it 's it 's about um, different factors that might contribute to that. Um, the third episode is about what is a brand right, and then from there, it kind of it it kind of builds. So there's an episode on, um, identity economics. Um, there's an episode on eating disorders, um, and how many people with eating disorders actually hide their eating disorders by becoming health coaches. Um, that one's the, uh, that one's the kicker episode. I feel like, um, there's an, there are several episodes that, uh, kind of do an introduction to neoliberal feminism, um, and to, uh, to economics like feminist economics. Um, and there's an episode on collectivism. So, <laughs> you know, it's just it kind of spans the the whole, there's a there's a spectrum, but at the same time, it tells a singular story. Mm-hmm. There's also a two-part episode on multi-level marketing as a case study, um, but it's not the kind of episode that you think it's gonna be, because I actually did my best to not frame it as MLM is bad and here's why it's that wasn't what I was interested in. There's plenty of podcasts on that. You can listen to that, do your thing. (laughs) I am interested in why do women see it as a viable source of income, right? That's it. That's all I want to know. So I made an effort to speak to women who are doing well with it or who love doing MLM. Um, because I just wanted to know why, um, it was a curiosity thing as opposed to a, I have an opinion thing. Um, and I thought that that was important because nobody's doing that <laughs> with multi-level marketing. Yeah. It's either like hundred percent pro or hundred percent con, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I absolutely, I agree with you. I think that that's so, so important. I had a conversation with a woman here once, this is a bit of a tangent and she studies women in entrepreneurship. And um, I used the word mompreneur like a little bit, Uh, pejoratively, Mm -hmm. um, and she was like, Look, (laughs) look here, Steph. Like, any way in which women are like sort of trying to own, right? Like, you don't look at multi level marketing or anybody sort of behaving in this space as um, being a slave to some machine or just doing something really small. In a lot of ways, this is people taking ownership of their skills and their lives and their networks, and um. I thought that was really important. Isn't there, isn't there some statistic, like some massive proportion of high figure earner, female earners, um, are actually an MLM? Isn't it like, I don't know, 80 or 90% of women who make six figures, something huge. Is that, oh, I hadn't heard that. That's, that's incredible. But I yeah. mean, but that's the thing is it's like
1: when you're presented with that information, why would you bother trying to go learn how to code and fight with men in a, you know, uh, an open plan office for 10 years only to be denied, uh, a raise or a promotion when you've got an easy, uh, you know, an easy, obviously you still have to work way in. So right. that's kind of what the podcast is asking is it's like, what are these barriers and why does the body and health, like, why do these like ways in which we can, um, Tap into our networks of other women um, or female-identifying people, however you want to to look at this group, right? right. Um, how? Why is that so much more? Um, why does it seem so much more effective? And a lot of it is the way that is presented online. Um, and for a lot of women, there's a lot of failure, but you don't see it because you don't pre- You don't put the failures online. Or when you do, then you know, bad things happen. People actually don't want to see it. So they, they block you, they stop following you, they stop caring, et cetera. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's, you know, this podcast actually is going to form the basis of what I'm going to be studying for my PhD. Um, and it's, it's how I presented that (laughs) to, uh, to the committee, uh, the admissions committee. Um, but I'm just, I'm interested in looking at this, Further and deeper, and the podcast is kind of my way of opening the door, not just for myself, because a lot of it was discovery over the last two and a half years, I have learned so much um, but it's also a way of opening that door for other people because before I was even considering a phd i hadn't i wasn't reading books on neoliberalism right i didn't know an, anything about identity economics. Mm because a lot of these things are walled off from the layperson right um so what you see is Gary Vaynerchuk and a lot of successful people instead <laughs> you know
0: yeah yeah i mean it, that is that is so much a part of that is why i'm i'm doing this podcast is because i hate that paywall you know i hate that um I mean, the wall exists for so many reasons. Um, And I think it's so cool. I I feel so excited that all of these different sort of experiences and ways that you've explored your identity and your role in the world. Like, I love the way that they're coming together. And I think, um, I don't know, I'm like really excited to read your dissertation
1: someday. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, I start, I start school after Labor Day. So everything from there
0: is just the, uh, <laughs> the work, I guess. Um, yeah. cool. Okay. So let's start at the beginning ish, mm-hmm. um, or maybe the foundation, which is here are people online, such mm-hmm. as I kind of am and definitely once was, yeah, um, who like sell, they're selling you something, right. And they're trying Mm -hmm. to sell you health or they're trying to sell you beauty, but in doing so, like you have to make a pitch, right. And so can you like, tell us a little bit about what that sort of process looks like, or, um, what might be some ethical questions that you have to look at when you're doing that sort of thing?
1: Absolutely. Well, so when we're talking about like <laughs> this world that I, I'm basically calling neoliberal wellness, right? We have to understand first and foremost, like what are the the roots of it, right? Like so, you and I um, were around the same age, and so we grew up in a world where neoliberalism was the foundation of everything that we do, <laughs> right?
0: Can, uh, can you explain neoliberalism? Are you yes. about to? Okay. <laughs>
1: So um, now, and I'm not like a scholar of neoliberalism. That's why I'm going back to school is to learn more about it. Right. But Mm -hmm. from the conversations that I've had, from the research that I've done, I will explain it to you in the best way possible. But please feel free, you know, at me if uh, you (laughs) uh, (laughs) want a better better explanation. Um, But essentially, neoliberalism is kind of this, it's a version of capitalism where the where everything is privatized, everything belongs to the market. Um, there is no division of um, church and state, if you will, when it comes to like the private realm and the market realm um, so it's not just like. You know, oh, healthcare is on the market. It's like literally you, as a person, as a as a unit of human capital. You are part of the market. It's a it's a worldview in which we actually look at ourselves as numbers on a spreadsheet, and we look at our value as humans um, based on our ability to earn or our future ability to earn. And that future ability, fu- uh, excuse me, future ability to earn. It's very early in the morning here. Uh, is the most important thing, I think, in the context of neoliberal wellness, because the way in which we position ourselves, the way I certainly position myself as a health coach, as a blogger, as a podcaster, was I'm here, but I'm going to be here. And this product or this service or this... um, you know, this, this program, whatever, this book, this, this meditation, whatever is going to help me get to here so that I can then be a more valuable individual in terms of the larger society, right? And in terms of the market, um, Neoliberalism is an incredibly individualistic ethos. It looks at every single person. It asks us to, you know, it's not just put your oxygen mask on first. It's just you are the only unit that matters um, to yourself and then deal with everybody else later. Mm. Um, Because if you're busy, you know, if you're busy out there helping everybody else share the wealth, et cetera, um, and you're not focused on your own personal Rise to the top first, um, then you don't rise. That's the that's kind of the ethos, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And you and you'd think that it would be like, oh, this is only like one political party or one you know uh, political side. It's not. It has completely invaded everybody's way of viewing the world. Um, So even for my friends who are like social justice warrior type, like super lefty, even they still view their their work through the lens of, of neoliberalism because mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. how you exist in this world. Um, that's the whole, like, put your PayPal link in the bottom. It's not about you helping others. It's about you getting paid for your work, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. You should get paid for your work, but it's the ethos that drives that. But anyway, um, I hope that made sense.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm still half, uh, halfway through my cup of coffee. <laughs> Yeah, no. So that's, um, that's actually, I think a really helpful, um, framing. And then, so what ends up happening, I think a lot is that, um, you sit with the question of like, okay, so what am I going to, how am I going to make people feel right? How am I going to present my like quote unquote skills or ideas or whatever? How am I going to present what I have to them in a way that makes me get paid for my work? Right. And so, Mm -hmm. Um, for me, obviously, and I think, uh, hopefully for a lot of people, there's this very, um, deep and hard question of how do I serve people honorably while at the same time, like quote unquote, get paid for my work. And especially when you're talking to people about issues such as like the way that they look. Mm-hmm. Right, like it becomes a huge question of how you're participating in the discourse and whether you're like, but very basically, I mean, we know that like advertising works, the worse it makes you feel about yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and it's interesting because the, there's an opposite side to that, um, where, um, a lot of the girl power, you know, lady boss, fempreneur, mompreneur ethos is not about feeling bad about yourself, but about feeling so good about yourself that nothing can hurt you. Hmm. And in a lot of ways that is actually just as damaging. And the reason is because because neoliberalism doesn't share the wealth equally, if you are to invest in this idea that you can someday feel that, that girl power, lady boss ethos, if you go ahead and go, you know what, I'm going to buy all these things, I'm going to invest in the thing, I'm going to do the program, I'm going to do the fitness, whatever, all okay. of those, you invest in that it doesn't mean that you're actually going to have the results that you see online, right? right. And for a lot of women, they don't realize that. Um, they, and it's not like, oh, they're not smart enough to see that. It's, the, it's just that advertising, it, it taps into this like primal area in your brain. It's kind of like playing the lottery um, where you're like, well, I know that there's a good chance I'm not gonna win, but I can see the chance that I could win. And mm-hmm. so you play anyway, and it's only a dollar. They ask for a small investment. You give that dollar, then maybe you buy a $5 ticket, then maybe you buy a $20 ticket. and Now you're playing because you've already made these invest- investments, and now you're somebody who plays the lottery, you know? Um, so in a lot of ways, I feel like the advertising that, that ha- comes out of the neoliberal wellness space isn't about making you feel bad even if often it does. Mm-hmm. Um, an example of that would be, let's say that there is somebody who is selling a fitness program and they're saying it's body positive, but the end goal is that you're going to get thin, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of the, the body positive people out there who actually, who view body positivity as my body, my body, my choice, and my choice is to be thin. Right. Um, and therefore I'm positive about it. I am positive. I want to be thin. That's their body positivity. Um, and so they, they frame all of their stuff as like, you're, you're doing this for you. Mm. You're doing this for you. You're going to, you're doing it because you care about your health. You do it because you care about yourself. You do it because you care about your kids and you want to live longer, whatever the, the framing is. But at the end of the day, for a lot of people, um, of any gender really, um, you know, trying to lose weight uh, intentionally isn't possible um, without extreme exercise, without extreme restriction, without the purchase of of dangerous or, you know, excessive or unnecessary supplements. Um, and so for them, they end up feeling terrible about themselves, even though it's been framed as like, but I'm doing it for me, mm. if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah. I've run into a lot of, um, Interesting discourse. It's in the academy, but like there are pockets of it elsewhere. You know, in in our co- conversations, where there's this like imperative, right, to be happy. It's sort of, yeah. Um, it like, it borders the whole critique of social media that's very popular right now, where it's like, oh, here are all these like beautiful images of these perfected lives, and everybody's presenting them to us, and it sort of participates in that, which is basically mm-hmm. saying like we're presenting you with this. It's a promise, you know, and that's actually very interesting to me as a scholar of religion, because I think the powerful thing about religion is, is promise. And yes, I think the powerful thing about pretty much anything, right. About Donald Trump, about Obama, like about anybody, it's, it's the promise. Um, and we're suckers for promises because we want things that are going to save us. Mm -hmm.
1: Actually, uh, Catherine Rottenberg, who wrote the book, neoliberal feminism, highly recommend everyone go out and read it. It's, you know, academic. So, you know, be prepared for that. It's not a, a quick read, but um, it's important. Um, and she actually talks a lot about happiness. I actually had her on the podcast to talk about it because happiness is an imperative. Um, it is that promise. It is this idea that, you know, we can have it all. Um, you know, the the feminist ideal of like, somehow we're going to be happy being productive units of human capital while also trying to raise a family, while also trying to, you know, go out and start a second business, while also, you know, and what we see online, what our brands do is we, we have to position it as ultimately you will be happy, you will be fulfilled, you will be, I don't know, at the, the peak of whatever it is that you believe that you're going to attain. And in reality, when you turn off social media, there's so much more going on outside the frame, so mm-hmm. much more.
0: Yeah. Um, So then what, like, Mm -hmm. how can we communicate to one another? Right? Like, so what, what do we do if we pull promises out of the discourse? Like, then what does it look like? Well, that's the question. I mean, in terms of <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs>
1: yeah. No. No. It's an important question. Thank you for asking it. Um, and because this is the thing that I'm particularly grappling with, you know, how do we effectively market and advertise to one another? Or is the question, do we need to be doing that? Yeah. Right. I mean, I guess that's the thing. Is is while we live in a a world where, you know. Money is distributed unequally, right? Um, And we have to figure out how to earn as much as possible because living in a city or even just living anywhere right now is basically unaffordable, right? You have to make money. You have to have some kind of enterprise. Um, No job is guaranteed anymore. and so we see these, these avenues to advertise to one another, to hustle, to build a side gig or to build a, a gig, period. Um, we see it as necessary. So we have to market to one another. We have to advertise to one another. And our bodies are, especially as female-identifying people, our bodies are our value um, in a lot of cases. Um, because competing... In the other areas where we have value, we actually have less value, whether or not we're better or, you know, at the same level as other people. So, um, so we turn to our bodies because we can, because we can control them, because we can manipulate them, because we can show them, um, because they are um, their products. Um, And... the question is, how do we do this in an ethical and non-manipulative way? And I don't think you can, is the problem, mm-hmm. because social media is a visual medium. It is a medium wherein you are not presenting your whole real authentic self, you are presenting your authentic self, because anytime you set a camera up, you are deliberately choosing a frame. If you look at like feminist film theory, it's that's all it's about, is about the gaze. Who controls the gaze? How, are, how is the director setting up the shot, right? What does the cinematographer uh, see for this scene? How does the subject uh, view the object? And when you are self-objectifying, which is what this really is, mm-hmm. how does that actually change what it is you are, the intent of what you are doing? right? Um, I always find it so funny that, um, you know, we see lady boss, you know, mompreneurism, whatever, um, as this like feminist act when we are actually self-objectifying, right? Mm-hmm. Creating ourselves as consumable objects, as Kelly Deal says, right? Um, and when we become the consumable object, even though we are the subject, like how does that change the way in which we, like what we see we're doing versus like what we're actually doing?
0: Does it, does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. Um, I'm curious then like where, you know, where, I don't want to like, where do we draw the line or where does it stop? Because I mean, obviously then like Mm -hmm. we get up in the morning and we have to like, you have to put on clothing, right? Yes, of course. You know, and like, and, And we make choices and I, sometimes I wear stilettos and I have, I actually, most days. And sometimes I hate that about myself and sometimes I like it, you know? And like, there's such a huge series of choices that we make about how we present ourselves. And so we're always sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, changing or directing people's gazes. And so like how how is this sort of different at all from what we do on social media? Or like, is it on a spectrum? And like, what can we, you know, what can we do about it other than try to be honest?
1: Oh, of course. Yeah, I mean, well, all human behavior is pretty much problematic. So, you know, we can (laughs) can start with that as a baseline. That is the baseline (laughs) assumption of this podcast. Okay, great. Wonderful. I'm glad I'm on on the same page then. (laughs) Okay, so if we can assume that like, Look, none of us are perfect. And because we have grown up with certain socialization, with certain cultural norms, right? Whether or not those are acceptable in terms of like, you know, the the mystical, like, you know, acceptable versus like culturally acceptable, right? Um it, so we can kind of like view this as you said as a spectrum. Okay. If you want to wear stilettos, wear stilettos. I'm not gonna sit here and like beat a feminist drum and be like, you can't do that because <laughs> you know, whatever. Right. That's not, that's at least not what I'm here to do. Right. Um, I think what it is, is to start from a place of awareness, you know? Sure. Um, and I think for a lot of women, they feel like they have that awareness, but they don't see what's behind the frame. And that's why I actually want to go back to school because as a layperson, I did not know anything about how, you know, identity economics works right? I wasn't sitting there reading books by professors from like Berkeley or whatever. Um, I was just going, I see my brand as a way to make money. And I know that to build a good brand, you have to look better, you have to sound better, and you have to spend more money to do both of those things. And the more I invested, the more I saw it as my purpose to do those things, right? To try to be this perfect brand. Mm -hmm. Um, So understanding and breaking down why I did those things, right, understanding the economics behind my actions um, helped me say that is not what I want to be doing. Now, if it is something you still want to be doing, I can't stop you, right? We have these tools and I'm not going to go out and change the culture tomorrow. I don't think any of us are. I think we're at a place uh, in the human civilization going backwards is going to take a lot of work and or a giant disaster and knock on wood the second doesn't happen, right? So if we're in this place, all we can do is operate with awareness. So instead of trying to build these billion dollar brands, maybe the question is, what am I doing with this work? Why am I doing this work? Am I actually helping people feel better or am I helping people feel better so that I can make more money, right? Right. To, if that makes sense. Because I know it's it's kind of, it's a gray area, right? Um, I don't want to tell anyone to stop trying to make money. I don't want to tell anyone to like, no, you should be, you know, you should be mm-hmm. back in the workforce because that's all that you are good for, even if, you know, that's not your passion, that's not your whatever. But when we look at the, the rhetoric around building a passion-based business, building a fitness-based bu- business, building a body-based business if you look at the rhetoric, it's not always just about the work. It's about making you a better person, making you feel good, making you happy. And are those things coming at a price either to you or to the people to whom you're selling? That's all we can do is ask that.
0: Yeah. I mean, these questions are really, really big for me, especially currently, you know, in my work in the health space in years previous, I didn't I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about like the way I looked or presented myself. I was just kind of like, I'm here, listen to me if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that I'm stepping into a space where I feel like I have ideas to contribute in a way that may be impactful, I really want to be heard. And, and so like you, before we hopped on the air, like I, Kyla saw me like take out my braces and I spent $5,000 this year straightening my teeth,
1: you know? Oh wow!
0: Yeah. And, like, I have thought about getting my nose fixed. You know, like these and uh I used to wear contacts when I recorded these and like oh okay, well my image is better when I wear my glasses. You know, like yeah. I, and like how many sports coats do I own because I feel like if I like when I wear my blazers people take me more seriously and how do I get people to take me seriously as an academic woman? Oh my god. It's hard. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. I, and uh and I, I I see it as a price that I'm willing to pay to try to get into the discourse and then change it. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's like, that's so much of like, and to put it in economic terms, like it's a cost benefit analysis. Yeah.
1: And the question is, once you're in, once you have made those investments, are you willing to then say, but this identity, once you're in the discourse, right? Can you then change it and say, well, this identity is fake, pull off the mask and then go, (laughs) right? Once you've made those investments, can you do that? And the answer is probably not. Um, And you know, I mean, I see this a lot. So I, I'm also a burlesque performer, right? And I see this a lot in the burlesque scene where, um, there are burlesque dancers who are body positive and fat positive and, you know, they don't care what, what's your gender or your hair color or whatever, but then they are also like, but I also want to look like the person who's going to win. So I need to get uh, my boobs fixed and mm-hmm. I need to lose weight. And I look at these performers and I'm like, but you're a feminist and you're uh, you know, but then they're like, also like, but I also need to look like I can be objectified so that I can get in and win and be at the top. Yep. Uh, So yeah, it's not, it's complicated because the thing is, how do you earn your place? And it's often based on how you look. Um, it's how you present. Um, it's based on your brand, unfortunately, and brand itself is, God, it's the most problematic thing because it's reductive. Um, It reduces you as a person, as this multifaceted, wonderful human who is quirky and and just genuinely you to how you present yourself Mm -hmm. and how you can be valued economically, politically, and socially in this world or in your sphere, in your niche. And I don't, I don't know how we change it yet, but that's why I'm going back to school to figure this out because, <laughs> of course, um, I'm
0: going to solve it in five years or whatever. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you might. Um, so question, I actually don't know what mm-hmm. identity economics is. Now, is this related to the stuff you're talking about in terms of creating brands?
1: Yes. So identity economics actually is a concept um, by... Um, George Akerlof from Berkeley and Rachel Cranton from Duke, um, they're economists. And so again, this is not my, I just read their article they published in, uh, August 2000. And then I went and got their book, which where they expanded upon it, but it's kind of like this niche section of behavioral economics, um, where it, it does not, um, because in, in economics, right, we look at humans, uh, Homo economicus, as this rational figure who makes uh, rational decisions based on the principles of economics, which we're all taught from birth. Um, right. Whereas behavioral economics is kind of, uh, it looks at human behavior as irrational and uses psychology to kind of analyze it. Mm -hmm. So identity economics kind of looks at the ways in which we, the investments we make in our identity, then go on to reflect who we, how we identify, um, why some behavior, why we engage in problematic behavior as a result of those investments. So Mm -hmm. I, I actually, do uh, a whole podcast episode on how um, it's called "Dangerous and in- Dangerous Investments." I believe it's episode four, um, but it's about how investing in our brands actually leads us to make more investments in those brands, and then to become irrationally attached to those investments, even after they've been revealed as bad, right, or dangerous, or um, you know, or if they've led us to some kind of loss, right. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of like you know there's a whole book so we could be here we could be here for a couple of hours but um, the idea is that human beings are not rational and sometimes we don't think about it when we when we spend that dollar on the lottery right that that then makes us a lottery player <laughs> mm-hmm. right we don't realize sometimes when we're in situations where we're being primed to behave certain ways um, based on our identity as well. Um, so, yeah. So that, I hope
0: that answers the question. Um, yeah, it does. Um, and I think that's very important and I'm so glad I know this exists because I don't know, I, I try very hard on this podcast. I'm, the, the conversations are very interdisciplinary and identity is so foundational in so many academic disciplines, right? People look at identity and religion, people look at identity and psychology, of course. Um, yeah. But it really is apparently, you know, if it's, if I'm seeing it everywhere, like one of the foundational things that motivates our behavior, right. And that makes us do things like take gambles on, um, advertising. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, and it's really interesting, you know, having conversations about
1: identity because like right now, obviously, um, that seems to be one of the, the driving conversations online. Right. Um, and there are so many wonderful things about identity um, that I, I don't want people to think like having an identity is bad, right? Like that's not mm-hmm. the no, because your identity helps you find other people like you, right? Humans are tribal creatures. Um, that was you know long before we existed in a world where you and I could talk on uh, <laughs> on Zoom over uh, you know hundreds of miles and you know whatever human beings like to feel like we're part of a group right that's what we do there's always been and this uh, obviously this touches on religion right there's always been insiders and outsiders it helps us understand ourselves so i don't think that identity is inherently bad and having one is bad it's just that if you don't have the awareness of how your identity affects your actions or how somebody else can manipulate your identity um or or your the way that you identify in order to extract money or some other kind of value from you. That's where the problem is. Mm. You know, I, I work in marketing right now uh, for a few more weeks before I go back to school. And so much of marketing is about identity. It's about market research of finding your niche, right? Understanding that niche, figuring out what those characteristics that drive purchases or other actions, and then manipulating them. Not necessarily in a bad way. I say manipulating in the sense of like that. that's, that's the job of marketing, right? So viewed, you know, regardless of your ethical lens, that is your job as a marketer is to be manipulative, to Understand the psychology of the exact person you are trying to target and use that understanding so that they don't even realize it. You know, ethically, I get real squeamish about it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that marketing is bad. You know, especially if you're doing it in a way to help drive people towards. I mean, it's still it, there's a lot of gray areas. I have a I have a huge problem with behavioral economics and the whole like nudge world. I just it, I get really squeamish about it, but um, that's just me. I'm not speaking for everyone, right? Um, but yeah, but that's the point of marketing, and that's that's actually like what I'm stu- like literally I'm going back to study rhetoric because I'm interested in marketing rhetoric. I'm interested in the ways in which words. Pictures, sound, all of those things are used to specifically manipulate just like this. I mean, look at Facebook ads, right? Like these tiny little niches to the point where we can, like, Facebook knows who you are, what you want, where you've been, and they can use every single detail about you to tell a story to get you to click on something. It's, I mean, it's just like it's mind blowing how easy it is to manipulate identity without even being realized without realizing that you're being manipulated. So mm.
0: um yeah. do you think that uh social media and the marketing that specifically happens on social media mm-hmm. um makes it easier for us to be like is it a more effective tool? Is it easier for us to be sort of swept up in cohering our identity to these various narratives um as opposed to say life before social media?
1: I think so. I mean, I can only speak as somebody who grew up in, on that weird divide, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I, you know, like I got AOL when I was eight, so I can't like, I don't know what life was like for my parents in the, in the experiential way. Right. Mm -hmm. I have been on, on the internet for as long as I have been able to like remember, (laughs) um, My entire life was about finding and creating identity online. I have a live journal from high school, and that was how I got into my space, which is how I got into Facebook. And I have, I mean, I've lost friends and family members as a result of the ways in which that I um, have built my identity online and have been so dependent on it, you know? Mm. So I can only speak as somebody who has had that experience. Um, But looking at the ways, that social media has kind of sped up since I've been aware of it, um, in the last, you know, five to 10 years, mm-hmm. it is really interesting to see how social media actually has become this really intense catalyst, um, for, for like, it kind of like puts identity into hyperdrive. Mm-hmm. And what's really weird about it is, you know, because I'm, I'm thinking about it all the time, but I wasn't thinking about it before. The ways in which like Facebook itself has changed its algorithms and changed what it surfaces as important has changed how I interact with people.
0: Mm.
1: Um, so like even a couple years ago when they announced that they were going to make news a big deal on their news feed suddenly, you know, I was sharing articles about body positivity and health at every size. And It was like so important to like do all of that. Right. It was so important to like talk about health. And I was connecting with health people. And as soon as Facebook was like, we're not doing that anymore. All of a sudden I'm like getting a lot more interaction with people who are sharing pictures and, and, you know, memes and talk about their life as burlesque dancers. And it's like, I'm still connected with all the same people. But, based on how this algorithm wants to present the world to me has changed kind of what I share and how I present myself as well. Um, right. and so, even as someone who is aware of it, I still get caught up in it.
0: you know right. And we are so, you know, on social media, in some ways, we're very, very passive, right? Because you just you're sort you scroll and you react to things that you see, and then you post things, you know, you, you comment or you post or whatever in reactions, to what you see. And even when you think of ideas of what to share, like you're saying, you know, having these ideas about body positivity, you're still in a way being reacting to what, to what you're seeing. And, and there in some ways, like everything we do in life is, is reactive. But I think in social media, that's sort of, I think the word you used was on hyperdrive, like, mm-hmm. so um, there's, a there's an advocate I know who talks about news feeds, like slot machines, you know, and you, oh, it's yeah, almost yeah. right. And that's actually like where the technology, mm-hmm. like where the idea came from in the first place. Right. I mean, you just sort yep. of like scroll and react.
1: Yep. Yeah. There's, um, there's a podcast, uh, that just came out. It's called your undivided attention. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend listening to it. Um, because it's, um, it's through the Center for Humane Technology. The guys who like created this technology are doing a podcast to reveal uh, what yeah. they created.
0: So that's, that's really cool. Actually, uh, Tristan Harris was the person who I was oh. thinking about. Yeah, um, so he talks about that on this podcast. So yeah, that's this is his podcast. So. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad they have a podcast. Yeah, I'll, I'll link to that because um, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of, it's one of the more, you know, again, you're talking about awareness. Like it's kind of the one of the more important things of which we need to be aware these days i think yeah
1: well and you know it's one of those things where like with with the podcast that i'm doing with the research i'm hoping to do the thing is we need an interdisciplinary awareness right i think what happens is as humans and especially as humans who are attracted to this idea of reductive brands mm-hmm. right we want to we want to know that there's like one truth one thing one thing we can follow and that'll just be like that's the answer, right? I mean, religion, obviously, right? We, we see this as, okay, the Bible, the Torah, whatever, the Quran, that's just your, uh, that's your book and everything kind of floats around that, right? So the same thing happens in the body positivity world, right? Okay. Health at every size is the, the, the place in which we start and everything else comes from that. And I say, no, we got to break that down and we got to, have an interdisciplinary study. We have to be able to um, understand technology, understand marketing, understand economics, understand feminism, right? And then take all of those things and then reapply them as a lens to whatever we want to study. And so that's why I'm so interested in like listening to podcasts about how the technology manipulates us at the same time as I'm listening to podcasts about economics, at the same time as I'm, you know, reading books on, you know, feminism, whatever. And not relying on one discipline to guide what it is we're trying to study. You know, I, I don't know if that. Sorry again, my brain is no.
0: It's no. I, I will <laughs> reassure you again. Yeah, no. It's, it's I think that that's very important. And also, just like we never want to be motivated by the same kind of idea, right? Mm-hmm. I, I never want to be motivated by the same kind of same kind of method. You know, and I'm working really hard to try to encourage people to. um stop selecting their friends or stop selecting their news sources or whatever on the basis of say a specific ideological lens. Yeah. Right? As opposed to on the basis of like, are we willing to, are we willing to like challenge things and look at them in different ways? Because um, yeah. we really do need to um, look at things in different ways, which is what we're doing here. And I realize we're coming up on time. Oh, so, yeah. So I know time flies.
1: It really uh, does.
0: Yes. And so, uh, Is there anything left that you would like to say, A, and B? um, Of course, I'll link to everything in the show notes, but will you tell us how to find all your stuff?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, I will say that just very quickly, um, being open to looking at things through different uh, ideological lenses is so important. Like it literally, I, I can say that it changed my life. I would not be sitting here in this chair right now. I would probably still be in like eating disorder recovery and and sitting by myself scrolling the internet. Um, being open to reading other people's opinions and being challenged and you don't have to believe them. But just letting yourself be challenged and opening yourself up to the possibility that you're not right. uh, Opening yourself up to the possibility that you don't have all the answers um, and opening yourself up to the possibility that, you know, there is more to you than what you can show that what, you know, there's more to you than what gets likes. There's more to you than what other people think is valuable um, in your little niche and being okay with that, being okay with the gray and the messy and the stuff that doesn't get likes and the stuff that you can't present on social media, is, that is what I'm hoping, if nothing else, that people get out of this. I know we're not going to change economics. I know that women are still going to get paid 70 cents on the dollar. You know, I, I know that those things are not going to change just because we're aware. Mm. But I think that if we don't start with that awareness, then... In future generations, if there's still a world post-climate change, right? If there's still a world in the future, I just want it to have a little bit more hope than I think our generation does. Um, but the thing is, if our generation doesn't start it, it's never going to happen. So that's my that's my like sad little rant for the morning. Um, but yeah, so people can find me. If you want to at me, I'm on Twitter, uh, at Body Brand Pod. Um I'm also on Instagram at bodybrandpod but I'm active on Twitter. Um and uh my website is bodybrandpod.com. The podcast launches September 2nd and it's a 15 week series so it's going to run through December 2nd I believe. Um and I'm really hoping to make a season 2 uh using my research at school so um you know and and I mean season two and beyond. So I I do have a Patreon and everything if people want to help out because this is not, (laughs) I I feel like an anti-capitalist podcast isn't going to get ads. So if anyone wants to help (laughs) make season two, please uh, donate a couple bucks.
0: Um, (laughs) Okay, cool. Yes. Um, Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been... um, this has been really wonderful. Uh, Kyla just told y'all where to find her, you know, where to find me. I won't bother saying it yet again. Um, thank you all um, so much for tuning in. Please do uh, shoot either of us questions if, if you have questions. Um, so yeah, thanks. And thank you, Kyla.
1: Thank you.